Amen. And uh, 63 years of consistency in an age of compromise and change is pretty good evidence that Jesus never failed. Thank God. Amen. And that crowd that's gone a different direction and dipped their colors and compromised their doctrine and laid aside their faith and become shipwrecked in their faith, it's not Jesus' fault because he never fails. And the reason he never fails is because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When you have an unchanging God who cannot fail, you need to anchor in what's right and go with the way that God's going. Amen. Thank God. I'm glad he doesn't fail. And I rejoice today to be a part of Bible Baptist Church as you celebrate 63 years right here in uh, Rossville, Georgia. Um, bragging on the Lord Jesus Christ, making much of Jesus and exalting the Lord and Savior. Look at the impact. I thought about the book of of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, where the Bible said, From you sounded forth the word of the Lord. Uh, And I'm grateful that there's been a voice and there's been a light, and it's a blessing to celebrate that today. Sure appreciate Brother Gravely inviting us to come and be a part of the meeting today. And uh, in that decade plus, we've been a little bit like shadows. Amen. We'll see each other occasionally and wave as we pass by in the night. And uh, most of that's driving on the interstate. Somebody say amen right there. But uh, it's just a joy to be here. Thank you, preacher, for having us. Appreciate your friendship and your faithfulness in these days and in these years. And uh, may God, may God get all the glory. I want you to look with me in your Bibles. John chapter number 10. John chapter number 10, if you would please. I did put a supply of prayer cards on the welcome desk. If you leave this morning, please pick one up and remember our family as we travel For the Lord, if you would remember us in your prayers, we'd be grateful. John chapter number 10, I want to read what might be a little bit more of a lengthy reading this morning. But I've been working real hard in my own mind. Now, these are not biblical principles, but sometimes we as preachers get into habits. And sometimes our habits are not necessarily proper. And I don't know why it is, but through the years we kind of have uh, reached a place where most of us in ministry... When we take a text and we read it, if it's a lengthy text, we almost apologize. I'm sorry I have a long reading today. And the Holy Ghost got the deal into my heart a couple of years ago about that, Brother Sam. Like, what's wrong with reading my book? It is a publicly read book. By the way, this King James Bible that we hold and and, and esteem as God's preserved word, um, this book was translated in particular not for reading, although thank God we can read it, but for reading out loud. I should say reading privately, but it was intended for public audience. I still thank God for his word, don't you? Amen. So look in John chapter number 10 with me this morning. And uh, I want to pick up in verse number 1. We're going to read down several verses of scripture. Then I'll drop in and try to give you the thought that's on my heart this morning and probably again tonight. The Bible said in verse number 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. When he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth forth before them, and the sheep follow him. And they know his voice, and a stranger will they not follow 
but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus to them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. And then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling, not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he's a hireling, careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. They shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. There was a division, therefore, among the Jews for these sayings, and many of them said, He hath the devils mad. Why, hear ye him? And others said, These are not the words of him that hath the devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of dedication. It was winter. Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. And then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you. And ye believe not. The words that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because you're not of my sheep, as I have said unto you. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now, I've read 30 verses this morning, and I want to drop in. The Bible would remind us in verse number 6 that these verses are a parable. So if you want to break down the chapter, you can look at it this way in verses 1 through 5. You've got the presentation of this parable in verses 7 down through about verse number 18. You've got the explanation of this parable. And then if you really look again beginning about verse 24 and through these verses that I've read, you will find that it's not the, uh, not the presentation or the explanation, but it's the application. How should these truths that the Lord has given us in John chapter 10 affect our lives? Now understand this, and, 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 and if you and I are struggling at times to understand things, we should not be surprised. The Bible said in verse number 6 that his own disciples did not understand the parable as he gave it to them in these first five verses. But to understand the principle, we have to take a quick look at verse 22 and 23. The Bible tells us four truths or four facts. In verse 22 and 23 that will help us grasp the picture that is laid out for us in John chapter number 10. These four truths are as follows. Number one, he said it was at Jerusalem. Number two, it's the feast of dedication. Number three, it's winter time. And number four, Jesus is in Solomon's porch on the temple mount. Now why does that make a difference? Well, 
Clearly, it's not just there for words because God doesn't waste space in his book. If he put it in the book, it's there for a purpose. And in these verses, the Lord establishes the parameters of where he was and what was going on around him. Now, we know that the Temple Mount is an elevated place in the city of Jerusalem. And from the Temple Mount, if he was standing on Solomon's porch, he would have had a pretty good view of what was transpiring in the valley or in the place below the mount, which would have been the city of Jerusalem. And so the Bible's given us some interesting information. It tells us first that we're not out in the field, that we're in the city. We're in Jerusalem. Number two, it tells us that it's a holiday season. The Feast of Dedication is the equivalent of modern era Hanukkah, sometimes referred to as the Festival of Lights. And, and so people that might have normally been tending their sheep in the field uh, would have come into the city so that they could visit with their friends and family at this special season of the year. But then the Bible said it's winter. And in the winter time, the grass would not have been green uh, and the provision of the field would not have been adequate. And so now we begin to see the picture. Jesus is in the mountain, uh, in the temple mount, in the porch of the temple. He's looking over the city below and the custom or the, 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 the process of that day and there would have been what they knew as public sheepfolds. These would be spaces in town and where you could bring your little flock of sheep and you could check them in with at the keeper of the sheepfold and, and he would be glad to keep them and provide for them and to protect them to allow you to go visit your family, take care of your business in town or enjoy your day, whatever the case of the hour may have been. There's no doubt that as Jesus was in Solomon's porch, he's looking down into the city below. He's watching these sheepfolds. There would have been several of them in that day. And he's watching these shepherds that are coming out of the field and they're putting their sheep in this sheepfold. And he makes this observation. He said, if they try to get into the sheepfold any way except the door, he said, they're a thief and a robber. They're evil. They're not right. But he said that the shepherd goes through the door. And, and this was the essence. And by the way, there's a truth there. He talks about the porter that openeth the door. Now, when we move down into the explanation of this parable, Jesus will remind us that he is both the door of the sheepfold and the shepherd that leads his sheep into the sheepfold. There's still a door opener. There's a porter. The Bible identifies the porter. I think you could probably pencil in the margin of your Bible. That's a type of the Holy Ghost. The door never opens unless the Holy Ghost opens the door. You and I are futile in our efforts to convince someone to come to Christ until the drawing power of the Holy Ghost convinces them of their own sin and points them to the glories of the Savior. Amen. And so Jesus begins to explain his parable in the verses that follow and sometimes this is of great importance because this is a duality in the scripture sometimes referred to as scriptural 
twins. Uh, that is when Christ chooses or the Bible chooses to repeat itself uh, for emphasis sake. And in this context, he'll use the statement, I am the door two times, verse number seven and verse number nine. Uh, and then he'll use the statement, I am the good shepherd uh, in verse number 11 and verse number 14. Uh, and there's a simple truth being exercised in the duality of those statements. I am the door and I am the, she uh, I am the shepherd. Uh, he's reminding us that Christ is everything. Uh, Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, Christ is everything. If you study the context of Scripture, you'll find out that he is both the sacrifice and the scapegoat. Uh, and that he is the lion and the lamb. Uh, and that he is the priest and the sacrifice. Uh, I sure am grateful that God saw our inability uh, and that we could do nothing, that we could accomplish nothing. Uh, and he said nothing that you could offer would be any better than filthy rags compared to the righteousness uh, of God found in Christ Jesus and so God said I tell you what I'm going to do I'll be the sacrifice and that not only will I be the sacrifice but I'll be your scapegoat and then he said not only will I be the sacrifice but I'll be the priest that administers the sacrifice and I'll be the power of the resurrection and I'll get up out of the grave so that I can be a savior of all men I said I'm glad that God's everything that you could ever want and so much more if you're depending by the way on anything outside of the good grace of the Lord Jesus Christ you're depending on faltering foundations a sinking sand if there is no foundation other than the Lord Jesus Christ what have you ever done to get saved nothing but believe in him and I couldn't even believe in him lest he give me the faith to believe in the first place and so we begin to see this fold unfold before us and that Christ is the door now I will say this in passing a door is a barrier a door is an entrance and a door is an exit in Christ I have something that protects me from the world and brings me to the safety of the sheepfold but in Christ I have a door an entrance I'm glad there's a way in amen I'm glad there's a way to God this morning it's not based on wealth it's not based on pedigree it's not based on who you know or what you've done or what you possess but it's in Christ alone but can I say that a door's an exit and there's going to come a day where the same door that got me in that is Jesus will be my key out and out of this world into a world which is yet to come Amen. Uh, but I want to look this morning for just a few minutes uh, about this next principle. Uh, and uh, that is that the Lord would say not once but twice, uh, I am uh, the good shepherd. Uh, now I apologize for two introductions, uh, uh, but I want you to notice that the concept of shepherding, uh, uh, that is that God is our shepherd and therefore uh, we are the sheep is a biblical principle uh, uh, that stretches throughout the entire context of the word of God. Let me give you some examples quickly. If you were to look back in your Old Testament you'd find in the book of Genesis 49 and 24 as far as I can find the first mention that God is our shepherd. It's the dying words of Jacob as he blesses his sons and in particular Joseph and 
this is what he said about Joseph. He said somehow that he has put his trust in the shepherd at the stone of Israel. And I thought how interesting to me when we think about a shepherd there is a there is the simplicity of an embrace, a tender love, compassion for the sheep that he tends to. But Jacob in the same breath said that he's not only a tender compassionate caregiver but he's a permanent structure he's a stone or a rock which cannot be moved I'm glad that our shepherd is eternal in his nature he's enduring in his nature he's empowering in his nature he is my rock and then if we walk further we might come to Psalms chapter 23 now you know that text it's conveniently familiar to all of us but sometimes it's familiarity causes us to overlook its grand truth Psalms 23 1 said the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want if in Genesis he speaks about the permanence of my shepherd in Psalms he speaks about the provision of my shepherd if the Lord is your shepherd you need not look in any other pasture you need not go foraging for that which you need because in him is a fullness of supply I'm glad that God is able to provide direction he's able to provide our defense he can establish our diet and even arrange for our daily cleansing all of those things the sheep cannot do on his own but the shepherd knows how to provide for his own well if we shift gears and move from Old Testament back to New Testament we know he's our permanence we know he's our provision we could drop anchor in 1 Peter Peter knew something about shepherding even though he was a fisherman because he'd walked with the shepherd and in 1 Peter 2 and 25 now remember that we moved to the New Testament the Old Testament the Old Testament majored on the physical qualities and physical traits of the shepherd he's permanent he's a protector he's our provider but when you move to the New Testament it'll shift from those physical components to a spiritual component 1 Peter 2 and 25 Peter would say that he is the shepherd and the bishop of our soul how wonderful that he said that not only is he permanent not only is he my provider but he said thank God he's my pastor he's my spiritual leader he's my guidance I'm glad that God not only knows how to take care of the physical things in our life but bless his holy name he knows how to guide the spiritual things in our life and the older I get the more grateful I am for the spiritual side than the physical temporal things sometimes we get caught up so much in the physical that we fail and understand he's the bishop of our soul I'm glad that he guides me I'm glad that he guards me I'm glad that he gets glory out of me amen he's the pastor of my soul well let's take a quick look at Hebrews 13 and verse number 20 Paul wants to get in in the conversation and Paul said this he's that great shepherd of the sheep in its context he's speaking about its resurrection 
salvation. Thank God. Amen. It's interesting. He said he's that great shepherd. He didn't say he's a great shepherd. He's that great shepherd. He has been elevated to a position that far exceeds anybody else. And the reason that he holds that higher ground is because death couldn't hold him. And the grave couldn't stop him. But he shook off the dust and walked out. You say, preacher, why is that important? That's evidence of his power. A resurrection power. In Acts chapter 28 and verse 20, Jesus declared that he has all power given unto him in heaven and in earth. Now that may not help you this morning. You may not need it this morning. But this preacher needs it. I need to know there's a God that's bigger than my circumstance. Greater than my problems. Wiser than my disorientation. I'm glad God knows. But not only does he know, but he has the answer. And can, ele- and can elevate and exercise a solution to the greatest problems of man's dilemmas. He has the power. He has power to perfect us. Has power to perform his will. Thank God for Jesus. Amen. Well, Peter said, let me make one last statement. He said in verse Peter 5 and 4 that when the chief shepherd shall appear, he said he's coming back with a reward for you and I. Hey, you know what Peter spoke about? He spoke about a promise. He said he's coming back. And the shepherd that left for us is coming back to receive us. Well, that's exciting news. I, I say thank God for what he said. Jacob said, he's my rock. He's permanent. David said, he's my provider. Peter said, he's my pastor. Paul said, he has the power. Peter said, he's full of promise. That kind of asks the question, what would Jesus have said about himself? Isn't it good we know? Because he recorded it for us in John chapter number 10. Lord, what do you think about yourself in this relationship as shepherd and sheep? What's your own definition? He just looks at us and with tender eyes of compassion, he said, I am the good shepherd. He likes the statement so much that he makes that statement twice. I am the good shepherd. Well, glory. I sure am glad he's a good shepherd. He's the best of the best. I've made several trips in my years to a little crossroad community in southern Montana named Pryor, Montana. Now, you'll have to look real hard on your map if you find Pryor, Montana. It's right in the middle of the Crow Indian Reservation. And in my years down there, there's a national historical site. It's called the House of Chief Plenicu. And I've gone over on occasions, taken mission groups over on occasion, and walked through that house. Well, Plenicu was the last chieftain of the Crow Nation. They've never, not one time since his passing, had another chieftain. You know what his name means in the Crow language, Plenicu? It means plenty good. You know why they never had another? You know why they never had another chieftain? Because they said that Plenicu was so good that there could never be another like him and none to ever come past him. Well, I'm glad he's the good shepherd. There'll never be another like him. For none can surpass him.
him. And he loves us. He cares about us. Well, I want you to look at this with me. Why is it that he is the good shepherd? What is it about his life, his work, his ministry that enables him to refer to himself as our good shepherd? Well, look in the text. He makes the statement in verse 11. He makes the statement in verse number 14. And he explains his role as a shepherd in verse number 27. The first of those statements is this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd that giveth his life for his sheep. That we need to quickly look back one verse and hear the Lord speaking about his role as the door. When he said he's the door, he reminds us that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But he said, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Now look at verse number 11. If you and I are going to have life and have it more abundantly, the shepherd declares, then it is necessary that the shepherd lay down or give his life for the sheep. Amen. The songwriter captured that sentiment when they pinned his life for mine. His life for mine. I didn't have a life at all. I was dead in sin and the trespass of heart. Amen. But when Jesus passed by and gave his life for my life, now you and I that are saved, 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 enjoy the abundant life that is the fullness of life, a life worth living because Christ gave his life for our life. That's why I'd say this, that he is the good shepherd this morning because of redemption. He gave his life for mine. He laid down his life for mine. Let me consider three things with you and I'll be done this morning. Number one, when I think about this act of redemption, our good shepherd, the first thing that comes to mind is the price that he paid. The price that he paid. That'd be real easy. Brother Hardman, it'd be real easy to run to Calvary and to describe as best that my mortal tongue can have the terrible sight of the suffering of the Son of God. And oh, what a price that he paid. And as a believer, we are to never lose sight of Calvary. But we're to remember that it's not a place of pity. Don't ever stand at the foot of the cross and have pity on the suffering of the Son of God. He didn't want your pity. He didn't die because he had to. He died because he chose to. He laid down his life. He gave his life for the sheep. When you stand at the foot of the cross, lift your eyes toward heaven above and raise your arms toward 
God the God of glory and praise him for the glories of the cross. But I'm thinking this morning not about the particulars of the sacrifice and the suffering of the cross but some general statements about the price that he paid. First of all I just thought I might mention that he, that he gave it all. Amen. That he gave it all. Have you ever heard that the little saying, little meme I guess in modern terminology where the little boy asked Jesus how much do you love me and that the meme said or the little illustration said that Jesus stretched his arms out like this and he said I love you this much and he died for me. Thank God. When I think about the price that he paid I thought I just might mention that he gave it all. There wasn't one heartbeat that he didn't give. There wasn't one ounce of air in his lungs that he didn't give. There wasn't one drop of that precious perfect blood that he did not give. Friend, he held nothing back. He gave everything that he had. It cost him everything. But he redeemed us. He redeemed us. He redeemed us. It cost him everything. But he bought us anyway. Hallelujah. He gave it all. Then I got to say this quickly. He paid it all. Woo! Hallelujah. Can I say, I say that again. There's not any hesitation in my voice. My hand's not trembling when I make the statement. He paid for everything. Amen. The Bible said, interestingly enough, that when the children of Israel came down to cross, they came down to the crossing of the river Jordan. When the priest's feet touched the head, it touched the waters of the Jordan, God rolled the waters back. And if you'll read it, it said he rolled them back to the city of Adam. Hallelujah. Now, they tell me from Kadesh Barnett, Adam was 30 miles. He rolled back the water 30 miles. That's interesting. I don't know if that's any more impressive than the fact he could feed two million people in the wilderness for 40 years and not let their shoes wear out or their clothes change. Amen. I'm not sure about all that. But I get hung up on that city of Adam. Because when God took care of my sin at Calvary, he reached all the way back and he took the initial sin of Adam and Eve's disobedience in the Garden of Eden and he raked it in and as he raked it in he came down through the eons of time and he brought everything in 4,000 years of human history and he piled them up at the cross and that's wonderful but that didn't affect me Hallelujah. But he looked down in time. I've got a marker for how far he reached back. Amen. I don't know how far he reached forward. I don't know when the last of Adam's grace will be born and walk among men. But I do know what I know. That God reached forward in time to the last of the race. And he took all of their sins and all of their transgressions and he brought them back to 
Calvary and he piled the transgressions of the past and he piled the transgressions of the future on his own back and he hung at Calvary. Thank God they might have had Simon the Cyrene carry a wooden structure but my sins rested on his shoulder. Thank God when he paid them at Calvary the just for the unjust the vile for the holy and the unrighteous for the, the righteous for the unrighteous. He took care of all of it and if you go to hell this morning it's not because he didn't die for you. It's not because he didn't pay for your sin but your lack of faith and unbelief. You have not appropriated the work of Calvary to your life but it can be yours. It can be yours. He paid it all. He became a drunkard for the drunkard. He became a murderer for the murderer. He became a liar for the liar. Thank God he paid it all. Then let me say this quickly, he satisfied all. I'm talking about what he did. The price that he paid. He satisfied everything. Brother Sam, everything. Have you ever thought how much he sought to satisfy the sovereign? Can, can I say this? That nothing else would matter if God hadn't been satisfied with the price that he paid. I see the Lord standing outside the tomb of Lazarus and he said, Father, I knowest thou hearest me. For I, do all, for I do always those things that please the Father. He said, I know you hear me. When he died at Calvary, the Father turned his back. You know the story. And sin reigned in the darkness. But God judged the sin of the world in the person of his Son. But then the light came back on. Hallelujah. In the midst of the darkness as though to remind us the place that he stood. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was the soul. And it, it, it stood in our place or in our stead. And it cried out to God as God judged sin in his son. Man, if that was the end of the story, if his chin had dropped on his chest, you would not be damned to hell tonight without hope or remedy the eternal damnation and burning would be ours in the future oh but could I say that the light came back on and in that light of the day he who had cried my God my God uttered his last words and he said father hey 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 into thy hands I commend my spirit you say what's important he has satisfied at the requirements of God and the stigma of sin has been settled by the sacrifice of the Savior all that remains is to seal it up with his death and to magnify it with his resurrection he'll get up out of the grave and walk away because God is satisfied you can't satisfy him with your works. 
You can't satisfy him with the waters of a baptistry. You can't satisfy him with religion because his son has already satisfied him with the blood that he shed at Calvary. And unless you come in that blood, there's no way for you to come to the Father. And I'm glad there is access. There is a way because the sovereign is satisfied. And I'd say this, then the sinner is satisfied. Isn't that right? The sinner's satisfied. You say, what do you mean the sinner's satisfied? Man, there's never been one that came to Christ in faith, believing and repenting, that went home disappointed. Lord, mercy. Mark chapter number two, y'all know the story about those four men carried that boy to Jesus, went up on the roof, tore the roof off and let him down at that precarious place. He was sick of the palsy. He couldn't walk. He couldn't tend to himself. He is a sick man, an invalid, if you want to use that terminology, without hope of cure. And they got him to Jesus with expectation that he would cure that disease in his body. But the Bible said when Jesus saw their faith, he said to him that was sick of the palsy, Son, best words he'd heard all night. Hallelujah. He said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, y'all check out the story when you get home. I didn't find with those boys up on the roof put their hands on their hips and said, Man, I guess that's good, but that wasn't why we brought him. That's wonderful, I reckon, but man, we thought you'd heal him. How about that old boy? If they'd have had to carry him out on the same cot that they carried him in on. If they'd have had to hoist him back up through the hole in the roof and carried him back to the same house to lay on the same mat on the same dirty floor with the same dreaded disease that brother Grabley he'd have still been so much better off because his heart was right with God his sins had been forgiven his soul had been saved and heaven would be his home there's never been a sinner that came to Christ that wasn't satisfied when Jesus got finished hallelujah then I'll say this he satisfies saints Amen. Uh, if the Lord, if the Lord doesn't come back before March the 31st of next year, of this year rather, just next month, I should say, March 31st, I'm going to get to celebrate 50 years a believer. Uh, hallelujah. Sam, your old boy slipped in an altar at the Eastside Baptist Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia, and got into the family of God. Jesus saved me the Holy Ghost moved inside of me and the Father's waiting on me I got in and though I've disappointed him I've disappointed him Brother Pendergrass I've disappointed him but thank God he's never disappointed me he's been everything I ever needed and so much more I've never scratched the surface of his grace I've never exhausted his forgiveness when I cry he hears me when I need him he's there he's a present help in the time of trouble bless his name find Jesus and be satisfied he's enough he's enough he's enough price that he paid price that he paid price that he paid he's the good shepherd because of redemption he's the good shepherd because he saves sinners like me. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you know the shepherd? Do you know him? Are you saved today? Well, we get all caught up in terminology and semantics. And 
You don't have to understand the terminology saved. 